The language of love is an international global language that all can understand. Just lean in the posture of love and that's where it all begins. Racial tension is front and center in 2020. What do we do? How do you lean in with love and God-centered fearlessness? Welcome back to the Riskers podcast. Today, we welcome Yethis Johnson, a certified cultural intelligence trainer. Yethis holds a master's in urban development and is currently pursuing a doctorate in global leadership. If you are ready to embrace racial tension with love, this podcast is for you. So the big question is this. How do Jesus-loving entrepreneurs, pastors, and driven men and women of faith like us who are taking risks to pursue their kingdom calling, how do we get our mission, the problem we're working to solve, the pain we're striving to heal, how do we fully realize it here on earth? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Caleb Brakey, and welcome to the Riskers Podcast. Yethus, welcome to the podcast. I am really excited to dive in today. A lot of the guests who I've been talking with, of course, have brought up COVID and, and a lot of things that are happening right now. Well, there's another huge, huge thing that has come to the surface in 2020, and that is racial tension. These topics where people kind of walk up to the edge and go, this looks really dangerous, so I think I'm probably going to stay back and, yeah. and just observe. You, yeah. sir, are right in the thick of it. And, and you were positioning yourself to be in the thick of it before it all happened. You, you, were, you were almost raised up for such a time as this. And brother, yeah. I would love for you to just start with what was going through your mind as all of this started to happen in our country yeah. and take us into that moment. Yeah. So let me take you back a little bit, Caleb, and thank you uh, for the opportunity to be here uh, on your show and uh, having this wonderful uh, experience with you. But um, yeah, so I've been working in multicultural, uh, in a multicultural context for, I mean, close to 20 years, and specifically in the last 13 years in working with leaders, raising up leaders, um, leadership development. And it was the United Nations basically here in New York City, you know, not the literal United Nations, but when it comes to different ethnicities and people groups, I was working with them all. That's where I really cut my teeth. And so it developed a hunger in me to just love on people and want to know more about culture. I am intrigued. I'm curious about different cultures and, and foods. I'm a big foodie. So, you know, I love experiencing different foods. You know, last year, the Lord began uh, tugging my heart to start my own business in this area of diversity, equity, and inclusion, using the specific skill set of cultural intelligence. And I began, you know, my, my doctorate program has a focus on developing cultural intelligence in, in, in leaders. And so that's my dissertation focus. And so when 2020 rolled around and you had the racial tensions, first, uh, the Breonna Taylor situation hit. And then when um, uh, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, when that occurred, I felt God tugging at my heart to do something. And I didn't know what to do. At that point, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe it's, um, I'm supposed to do something on the legal end of things. And so I started doing a little research there. And then the George Floyd 
murder happened. And immediately God spoke to me and said, okay, do something. And here's what I want you to do. And so I began a course called giving grace to race and giving grace to race was an eight week course. I did an East coast version and a West coast version. I mean, it was, I had about 50 something people sign up all together and it was just an amazing experience. I mean, I, it, it was just people coming together on a weekly basis and we had opportunity. Now I use cultural intelligence to, as my framework. And that is, that's a special type of assessment that I provide to all the participants. And then it creates um, the framework in which we're going to use to have these conversations. And so they were rich conversations. I also do a piece on the, the biblical and missiological basis for cultural intelligence. And that's very powerful. And so when we concluded, it's like people didn't want to leave, you know? And so that's what really stirred my heart. And actually, I'm doing a, a giving grace to race right now, fall version. And I'll actually do a winter version as well. So we've been in the thick of it. I'm working now with uh, faith-based organizations as well as secular organizations with my, with my firm. Uh, I built up a team. I just started in January. And I did, you know, it was, it was completely a faith thing, right? So I started in January. I was overseas doing some training uh, for about two, uh, about a month there. So really, but I was kind of gone for two months, you know, traveling. And then I really didn't start my business until March. And then all of a sudden, I think somewhere around April, you had some of these racial tensions come uh, surfacing and then boom, bang, you know, here I am. And there's a demand out there and I'm thankful my team has expanded. And so we're really uh, going after it, but it was a faith filled risk. Mm. You stepped away from your nine to five. <laughs> yeah. What were the prayer discussions? What were the family discussions leading up to that? Yeah. So um, my office was, uh, I, was a, I was in a nine to five for 12 years, 13 years. And then we had a change of leadership. And with that change of leadership, everyone was pretty much going part time. And so at that point, I knew, okay, what I wanted to do was expand my calling. And so came July, I resigned from my position, uh, which I was kind of like a regional denominational leader and just went with this full time. That's awesome. Bring us into someone takes you out for coffee and says, I don't know what to do. I don't know what my part is in this. What do you talk about? I begin with love. Love is the foundation, right? And if you're a believer, uh, scriptures, uh, it says God is love. And everyone that knows God, you know, has to have love, you know, because God is love. And so I always begin with lean in the posture of love. I've, I've been doing this training around the country for the past five years. And I've had, you know, people in the Midwest where there's less diversity say, hey, I don't know where to begin in this conversation. So uh, I, I don't, you know, if I have a, an Anglo person, you know, I don't speak to or have conversations or inter- interactions with African-Americans because I just don't know where to begin. I don't want to offend them in this politically correct world, if you will. And I just say, hey, you know, begin in the posture of love. Look, your, your pet doesn't speak English, right? You know, I mean, might understand some commands in English, but doesn't speak English. However, your pet will know if it's loved or not. And people, people sense that energy, Caleb. They sense if you love them or not, if you care for them, if you, if you have their best interest at heart. 
And so if you are be having conversations where you're just asking, even if you ask the wrong question, you can recover because of your posture. And so there's a way to um, your body language communicates, your eyes, your facial expression communicates. And let me share a couple stories with you that really reinforces this. So I was in Indonesia uh, before the pandemic hit and had opportunity to do some training there on unconscious bias with a group of uh, professional, uh, Muslim professionals. And I, interestingly, each is a room of about 30 young professional Muslims. And Indonesia is the most uh, uh, Muslim populated uh, country in the world. Each of them introduced themselves, their name, and then they followed with, I'm a Muslim man, I'm a Muslim woman. Just interesting. So it, it, it lended itself to a conversation in my training to say, hey, I am a Christian man and God lives, God is love and God lives inside of me. And if God is love and he lives inside of me, he gives me the ability to love. And so at the end of the training, the sponsor asked the question, what are you guys taking away from this training? The first one, bold woman said, we, we know he loves us. And the sponsor said, well, how do you know? She said, because we feel his love. Another woman raises her hand. She says, we know he loves us. He said, well, how do you know he loves us? That's her takeaway. She says, because he's with us. And I thought about that. Isn't that the incarnation? Christ is with us, right? He's in us. He's with us. We feel his presence. And, and, and so when you are working cross-culturally, I would just say love, love well. Another story. So while I was there, I had an opportunity to meet up with a, um, a family online. Never met them personally, but we had connected online. They don't speak English. I don't speak Indonesian, but, you know, I have Google Translate and I have another, um, I have my little device here that I use, 40, 47 languages. And there was such a deep connection there. We traveled all around the islands of, of, of Bali, that area, for several days. And there was a connection. And as we were departing, I gave each of them a kiss on the head just to express the love. So here it is, Caleb. We don't speak the same language, but the language of love is an international global language that all can understand. And so that's the power. So I would say to anyone, hey, just lean in the posture of love. And that's where it all begins. Absolutely incredible. I think of the disciples, what's the greatest commandment? <laughs> love yes. God, love each other. What would it be like to peel back the curtain of what's going through your mind when you're about to step into a room, someone from the Midwest, someone uh, from up, up in my area where it's predominantly white, or someone who maybe hasn't studied racial history what are the false beliefs you're going to have to untangle when you walk in? Yeah. Wow. Excellent question. So I think one of the first false beliefs is <laughs> I don't have culture. I don't have culture. And so many people, many Anglos, many Americans will say, I don't have culture. As a matter of fact, I had in one, one of my recent courses, uh, a woman said, for the first time in my entire life, I don't know what to say. I'm without words. And, and we, we were doing an exercise. And one of the exercises that I always do with participants is I want you to identify 
your cultural values that you embrace in parts of your culture that you protest. I mean, Jesus, he embraced his Jewishness. He fully immersed himself in Jewish culture. But there were aspects of Jewish culture that he embraced, right? And then there were other aspects in which he rejected. In particular, the the aspect in which the Pharisees had developed. And so getting people in the room together and getting them into groups so that they could begin to process their culture. And what that does is it allows us to hear each other. And, and I like to create a safe space, number one, right? We have to have a safe space where people can open up because that's very important. But they begin to understand themselves in a deeper way and understand that, yeah, we do have culture. And culture is basically how we do things around here, you know? Um, and, that's, and, and, and there's a myriad of things that we do, you know? There are beliefs that we have. There are practices, education, religion, family, how we view authority. And so all those are a part of what makes culture what it is. And so as I'm sitting with people and helping them, and and here's the other thing it does, it humanizes us. And when you go back to race historically, in order for any group, and I always say this, Caleb, in America, we haven't monopolized racism. We haven't cornered the market in it. There's, there, there's some type of ism all over the world that divides human beings, right? And so it could be racism, it could be the color of your skin. Uh, if you're in Africa with my same skin color, it could be tribalism. In the Middle East, it could be religion. In, in China, it could be you know, socioeconomics. In India, it's classism. So we haven't cornered the market on the isms. But as humans, because of sin, there are going to be things that cause us to divide. And so we have to overcome. So in America, I always say uh, it's bigger than a, it's more than a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And we don't want to dismiss the fact that, you know, Blacks, African-Americans have been treated wrong in this country or inappropriately in this country and, and all the issues that come with that. But it is primarily a sin issue. And that's why I say it begins with love and it begins with our identity in Christ. Before we go further, I want to take a quick break and tell you about the publishing expertise offered by Speak It to Book and Sermon to Book, where we help men and women of faith become powerfully positioned to impact lives by collaboratively writing their book and building their ministry platform. If you've longed to write your book and impact a broader audience, our team is here to help even if you don't have the time or energy to write. We've helped riskers like you secure traditional book deals, hit numerous bestseller lists, keynote to 100,000 people in two years, and get featured on Entrepreneur on Fire, Forbes, and Inc. Schedule a free strategy call at www.calebrakey.com. What are the most harmful words that are coming out of people's mouths that they believe are beneficial. Yeah. All lives matter. (laughs) Of course, all lives matter. You know, you know, Jesus died for all, right? You know, if you have a child that has a major disability, it's not that the other children don't matter. It's you need to give a little more attention to that child because of, of the needs there. 
you know, if a particular room in your house is on fire, you know, like if, if the bedroom's on fire, you know, it's not that you don't care about the living room and the bathroom and the kitchen. You just have to spend more time dealing with this particular bedroom. And so saying all lives matter is one of the things that is really not helpful and it, and it alienates. And so I would, I would uh, of course, as believers, we know that all lives matter. But in this particular case, we are looking at those who are hurting, those who are in pain, those who need a little extra grace. You know, I would say another one is, and I don't know if this is a saying, but more of an attitude, our rights. And I know that is historically a part of our constitution and a part of the fabric of what it means to be American. But what's important is the kingdom, mm. you know, and, and one I think that's one of the things that I have been constantly trying to emphasize is we have to, we must view this from a kingdom perspective. And so we've got to have a bird's eye view and uh, we've got to have a, a greater perspective on what is it that God desires. So the attitude of my rights, you know, living in the kingdom requires sacrifice it requires us to love our brothers and look after them and sacrifice at times to help with their welfare and not just ours. So I would say those are the two major things that could really be harmful as we're navigating these muddy waters. Cultural intelligence. How would you paint that picture? If you were to look at a man or a woman, what traits do they possess? What's coming out of their mouths? How are they using their time and energy? What embodies cultural intelligence? I call it a third culture person. When I looked at my big why for starting 3CP, which is my, my business, my firm, my big why was to develop a third culture person. It is a person that learns to embrace a wide variety of different identities. They want to learn about culture and to to embrace people, to love people, to, to learn to listen. Like for me, I watch foreign movies. And if I have the money and opportunity, I want to travel to more countries. I've been invited to different groups of weddings. And I heard when you're invited to a wedding from another culture, that means you've been accepted into the family kind of. So I've been to a Nigerian wedding where, you know, the women are wearing these bright colors and they dance into the reception hall. I've been to a Korean wedding, you know, where they're doing their thing and an Arabic Russian wedding. It's just so exciting to see, you know, the things that they do during the reception time. It's just different. I've been to a Chinese wedding where they celebrate the ceremony tea party, where the bride and groom, they honor the elders. It's just amazing. It's a, they serve them tea and then the, uh, the elderly give them gifts, you know, expensive gifts. It's just a wonder to see. So listen, listen is important. Learning is important. My next goal is to learn a foreign language. I was just in a conference with a bunch of Europeans. They're speaking two, three, four, five languages, you know, because their countries are so close, you know, and then love again, love is at the center of, of it all and lead third culture people, we use the influence that we have to spread that love and to help people understand that because someone is different, they're not your enemy. And it's different. It's, it may not be right or wrong. It's just different. And so learn to understand that difference, learn to navigate that difference. 
and then leverage, you know, leverage the relationships that you have and bring people together, be a gatherer of people. That's what it's all about. So that's what I would, I would say, you know, and, and cultural intelligence in its proper definition is having the ability to effectively navigate cross-culturally. I can't let this sit. You said be a gatherer of people. Mm-hmm. Your name has some special meaning. Yes. It means one yes. who gathers. Have you kind of looked over your shoulder and said, God, what were you up to? Yeah, so it, it's an inspired name. My mom gave me this name when I was, you know, born pretty much. And uh, and it does mean one that gather. And so, yeah, I, I always Google my name to see if I can find another Yathis in the world. But I'm the only one. And, you know, once I realized, you know, I, I didn't like my name, number one, uh, growing up because it was just a different name. And, you know, I got teased a lot or, you know, people just butchered it. Teachers, you know, students, you, you name it. People butchered my name. But some people would call me Yay. You know, I didn't mind that. Hey, what's up, Yay? You know, but it's interesting when you go overseas, Yathis is just another meaningful name because overseas, you don't hear the John, the Robert, you know, the Jack, you know, the James, you know, it's all these different names and I just fit in. So that's why I feel like I'm a gatherer of people and I'm a global citizen. And so it's, 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 it's special. And it's, um, I've learned to embrace my name as an adult. That's awesome. And I know listeners are, are being inspired to be a, a gatherer, to be a cultural, intelligent person here. Where does your firm come in? How are you, if, if someone's out there, if someone's listening right now and they're saying, man, either for myself or for my employees or for my church, we need this. Where does your firm step in? Where do they start? What are the yeah. resources that you would say, you, you jump on this right now. Yeah. So, um, and I, l- let me start with the ideal client, right? So, so there are people who uh, want to have these conversations. They've been, they've been reading themselves, but they don't have any facilitator to, to help bring them together to say, to have intelligent conversations where they're not offending each other or uh, going to war. And so we're working with an entire public school district right now for that. And then there's the church. You know, the church, want, there's a church that wants to plant a multicultural church, uh, a church plant, and or they themselves want to become more multicultural. They come to the realization that their community is changing, but their demographics are not changing within their own congregation. So they call 3CP. We can come in and we can help do some training and some consulting and some coaching to move them along toward those goals. And so that's, those are some of the things that we're seeing where people are wanting to know, hey, how can you help us with our particular goal? I mean, we're doing this giving grace to race. We're making this available to the public. Just follow us on social media. We'll have a sign up for you there. And so that's a great place as a starting point. I mean, there's some great resources. There's books that one can read. Like uh, I like Daniel Hill's book, Wide Awake. I love Miles McPherson's book, The Third Option, is a great book on misreading scripture through uh, Western eyes. And so that's more biblically focused. And then there's, uh, for, for pastors, there's a book called Preaching with Cultural Intelligence. And so those are some of the resources. And it's just a, a boatload of uh, university books that are out there that really addresses race and, uh, and culture. And so 
Uh, those are some great resources to start. But in calling us, when you want to go deeper, uh, certainly uh, having us come in, we could work with uh, your organization very effectively for you. That's wonderful. I hand you the mic and I say, hey, speak directly to the listener. What is it that you want to say before we wrap this up? What would be that call to action to mm-hmm. brothers and sisters everywhere who are wanting to engage, who are wanting to uh, become a, a third cultural person? Well, I can say that anything that you're doing for the very first time, you're going to make mistakes. All right. So starting a business, I've made mistakes. You know, you ride a bike, you're going to make a mistake, right? You're going to fall. You know, you're trying to walk, right? You're going to fall. That's part of the process. But again, lean with the posture of love, letting people know that you have their best interests, their heart. And when you can do that, you could see progress and you keep leaning in. So, you know, um, you know, here, here are four things that we measure in cultural intelligence. We measure your drive. And that's the key. For me, your cultural drive is important because that determines your motivation. That determines, you know, are there extrinsic motivations? Are there extrinsic motivations? And then as you have those, this self-efficacy gives you more of the confidence. And when I do this with believers, it's like this there should certainly be intrinsic motivation because God lives inside of us. And so begin with opening your eyes to scripture. The scripture has a lot to say about ethnicity. Jesus from Nazareth, that's a clue. Paul from Tarsus, that's a clue. You know, Uriah the Hittite, that's a clue. Uh, Ruth the Moabite, that's a clue. And so I, I try to stay away from the black white labels and use ethnicity, like I see more in scripture. Uh, so African American, Anglo, or Caucasian, those are terms that I typically use as I work with participants, because black, white has a very, it, it has historical overtone to it. And it's, it's deeply uh, entrenched in um, injustice and, and so forth. But, um, and I know it's, 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 it's a hard habit to get out of, but, um, but I would say to people, you just begin, take the first step, take the first step, begin to educate yourself, pick up a few resources and it's rich. I mean, in Revelations chapter 7, 14, verse 14, all nations, tongues, languages, people groups, we're all coming together. That's what the kingdom looks like. And so, and, and Jesus, he prayed, he told us to pray the prayer, thy kingdom come, thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, by this, all men would know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so we've got to love. And my grandfather, who was a sharecropper, he would always say, son, you got to have pure love. And a sharecropper is very, basically an extended version of slavery. But he was a loving man, a very loving man. He could have been angry, but he was a loving man. And he, he gave me that legacy along with my mom. They gave me that legacy of love. So I always say, that's why I keep preaching. Start with love. Absolutely incredible, brother. Thank you for bringing love, for bringing Christ into this incredibly important topic of race. And brothers and sisters, he who has ears, let him hear and let us be part of the solution to make this kingdom come and look a lot like it is in heaven, (laughs) where we are all coming from every age, race, nation together under Jesus Christ. 
thank you so much for being a guest of the Riskers podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me and the best to you and all that God is using you to do. Amen, brother. Thank you for listening to the Riskers podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Speak It to Book and Sermon to Book, where we're on a mission to teach kingdom-minded men and women how to write, publish, and market best-selling books and build world-class platforms. To learn more, go to www.calebrakey.com.